more time to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to focus tonight on that last verse of the chapter, verse 23. But I want us to read the paragraph. So we're going to begin in verse 20. Romans 6, beginning in verse 20. Bless you. Here's what we here's what we read. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we were approaching this series in Romans 5-7, through I mentioned, I think it was to Merle, uh, that I was particularly looking forward to preaching through Romans chapter 6. And I was looking forward to preaching through Romans 6 for my own sake, as well as for the sake of our church. Um, I want to be rooted in the reality that I am now a slave to Christ. I want to feel that as my identity. I want to know it to the very bottom of who I am. I now belong to Christ. I am His. God has been gracious. If nobody else has benefited from this chapter, I can testify. This has been one of the most helpful chapters of Scripture to my life that I've ever preached through. Because of who I am in Christ and because of what Christ has done and is doing and will do in me, I am now to deny sinful desires that spring up in my heart. And I am to give myself to happy submission to God each and every day. The key to the Christian life is loving Jesus and seeking to be useful to Him. The way we grow in this is by faith and by obedience. And so Mount Hermon, let us be freshly encouraged in this season of our lives to put all other thoughts away except for this one. What can I do in each and every situation to serve the Lord Jesus who has bought me with his blood? We come tonight to Romans 6.23. It's a very famous verse. It's a verse that helps summarize all that Paul has been saying in the preceding verses. Paul's point in Romans 6.23 is a very simple point. God is a much better master than sin. God is a much better master than sin. We are fools to serve sin rather than God. We are fools to give ourselves to sinful desires rather than to obedient desires. And this last verse of the chapter is a call 
for us to give ourselves to God and God alone. Now we do need to recognize as we think about this verse that it has been mightily used by God in the past. I imagine there are many, many Christians who would say that this particular verse was instrumental in their coming to Christ. Uh, Many of you are probably familiar with what's called the Roman Road. Uh, The Roman Road is a way of witnessing, a way of uh, helping people understand the gospel that takes them through several verses in the book of Romans. And Romans 6.23 is a part of that Roman Road. It's found in many, many gospel tracts. Um, This verse was one of the first that I learned as a child I would guess for many of you who grew up in church, Romans 6.23 was one of the first verses you learned as a child. But my prayer tonight is that as we unpack it, we will begin to understand what does it mean in its context. What is it that Paul was actually saying in this familiar verse when he wrote it? Consider first with me the phrase, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Is death. We, we quote this verse so often, and yet I think many times we misunderstand what is being said in that phrase. The wages of sin is death. The idea there is not simply that if you sin, you reap death. Sin, in Romans 6.23, is not simply a wicked act that you do. In Romans 6.23, sin is the master that you serve. This verse, right along with all of the verses that have been leading up to it, are making a contrast between two masters. A master called sin and a master called God. And the contrast is between how each master treats his slaves. Slave master sin gives wages. And the wages is death. Slave master God gives gifts, and his gift is eternal life. So we have sin as a slave master. And before you were saved, you were a slave to sin. And sin is still battling in you, Christian. Sin wants you to return and to be its slave again. Sin continues to give you orders every day, hoping that you will obey those orders. How does sin give you those orders? Through those sinful desires. Obeying sin never seems like hard work. Have you ever noticed that? It doesn't feel like work to obey slave master sin. It never seems like a duty I must fulfill Rather, sin, sin will woo you. Right? Sin gives its orders the way the adulterous woman of Proverbs 5 might give orders when seducing a man. She gives commands, but the commands are dripping with honey. For unbelievers, sin is commanding the very kinds of things that their wicked hearts already enjoy. And so sin's yoke on its slaves seems very easy and very light. It's easy to obey sin. It's fun even. But obedience to sin brings death. 
And death is both a condition and a destination. Death as a condition means death to God. By obeying these sinful desires, we are cutting ourselves off from God. The true fountain of never-ending joy, the Holy One. Death as a condition means death to spiritual things. So when we sin, we reap death. And what kind of death does slave master sin bring to us? Well, it includes our minds becoming warped and twisted so that we don't think as we ought to think. It includes our hearts becoming bent and darkened so that we begin to love things we ought not to love. Right thinking, right loving are lost. We are given over to idolatry, becoming attached to people and to things and to activities that cannot truly satisfy us and ultimately leaves us empty. And so death is a condition and we reap this condition when we obey slave master sin. But death ultimately is also a destination. For God will only allow us to live as slaves to sin for so long. Our appointed times on this earth will end. And ultimately we will have to face God. And on that day, sin will bring us to eternal death in hell. We will experience the torment of the wrath of God. If we have been slaves to sin. And if that is the condition in which we left this earth. This will happen on a principle of wages. That is, those who served sin will receive according to what they have done. Justice will be satisfied for every wicked sin committed against the infinite glorious God of the universe. The person will be condemned. And what will the experience of death be like on that day? What is this death that sin brings and gives as its wages? Well, we know that these people will be forever cut off from the grace and the love of God. In this life, in this life, even the worst of sinners is still receiving tokens of God's love and grace. The fact that a person is still breathing is a token of God's grace, a moment of His patience, giving them opportunity to repent. But on that day, when the wrath of God comes, when true death is entered into, there will be no more of God's kindness. God's kindness will be removed and justice will stand forth. The punishment will not be more severe than the person deserves. It will be on a principle of wages. What the person has done, that is what the person will receive according to. And so the judgment of God will be fair. But one sin against an infinitely glorious God is infinitely heinous. And how much more so when a person has committed thousands and thousands of sins against an infinitely glorious God. What is a fair punishment for that? 
The love of God is the greatest thing in the universe. There is nothing better than the love of God. Knowing God, belonging to God, is the highest of all delights. Those in hell will be cut off from the possibility of ever truly knowing and belonging to God and from ever living in His love. They will lose all possibility of such a relationship. What's more, because people are both body and soul, the Bible tells us that the bodies of the wicked will be resurrected along with the bodies of the righteous, and that the torments of hell will be torments to both body and to soul. The sinners in hell will think back to the past, and they will remember all of the wicked thoughts, all of the wicked words, all of the wicked deeds that have brought them to that place. They will remember all the good that they spurned, all of the opportunities to repent that they wasted. The wicked in hell will recognize that the righteous are in heaven with God. They will know that there are others who are not in hell with them, others who are in heaven with God and His angels living in an eternal paradise. And meanwhile, they will be accompanied in their torment by the most loathsome of creatures, demons, The devil himself, in the midst of their agony, they will look forwards to the future only to realize that their future is their present. That is, that they will suffer for all eternity and that there is no moment of peace in sight. On top of all of this, it may very well be that the wicked in hell will forever remain full of burning hatred towards God. That their hearts for all eternity, even as they suffer and must acknowledge that their suffering is just, their hearts will still be eternally hardened against God. They will be damned to live eternally in hell. This is the wages of sin. This is the death of Romans 6.23. It's verses like this one that teach us that Christians will be rewarded to different degrees in heaven, that as Christians will be rewarded to different degrees in heaven, so also those who remain slaves to sin and are punished forever in hell will receive judgment according to differing degrees. All people who go to hell will be punished according to wages. According to what they have done, they will receive their punishment. Now exactly what that means, we we don't really know. But masters do not typically pay their servants the same wages. They pay wages according to what has been done. That's the way justice works. And we know that the wicked in hell will receive differing degrees of judgment. Because of words like these from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told the cities of Bethsaida and Chorazin that the wicked cities of Tyre and Sidon would be better than them, would fare better than them on the day of judgment. Jesus said that the citizens of all these cities who rejected God's salvation would be punished. 
But the punishment of Bethsaida and Chorazin would be more severe because Jesus himself had come to them and performed miracles and taught the gospel and yet had been rejected. So there will be some difference in the degree of torment that the wicked experience in hell. But it will all be torment. And it will all be eternal. And it will all be just. This principle at play will be that of wages. What does the person deserve? Back in verse 14 of Romans 6, Paul spoke of being under law and under grace. Well, the person who is a slave to sin is under law. And the law will have the final word concerning that person's fate. And so that person will be judged in absolute accordance with the requirements of true morality. Now that slave master sin and a principle of wages and death. Let's look at the other part of the verse. This contrast with another slave master, one called God. And there can be no better master than this. God is compassionate towards his servants. God loves them deeply. He works all for their eternal happiness. They are his servants indeed. We are God's slaves, but we're also God's adopted children. Here is a master who has adopted his slaves as his children, even brings them into an inheritance. This is a master who enjoys fellowship with us, his servants. God not only gives his slaves commands, but he gives his slaves the strength to obey his commands. And he gives them the inward and the outward resources that they need to obey those commands. God instills in his servants gifts and talents so that they are fitted for the various callings that he places upon them. And what's more, unlike slave master sin, every command that God gives to his servants is wise and good and for their benefit. How does God command his slaves? The same way sin does. Sin gives us commands through our sinful desires. Well, God commands us through our desires. But God transforms our desires by his word. And by His Spirit. As we spend time learning from God in His Word, the Spirit begins to work the truth of this book into our heart so that we begin to have new desires, desires to obey God, desires to do what He says. We know God's will. We know God's commands for us from His Word. And by His Spirit, we begin to have an inward impulse to do what He says. And thus, just like when we were slaves to sin, the more those, our inward desires conform to the will of God, the more the burden and the yoke of slave master God is easy and light. The more we are sanctified, the more we will proclaim that obeying God is not hard. Obeying God is a joy, a delight to us because of His grace. 
Now, since we're not yet holy in this life and we're, we're still in this sanctification process, there are still going to be times when you know that God has a command for you and your heart's not yet in a place of rejoicing in that command. There's still going to be times when obeying God in this life is going to feel more like duty than delight. We should still obey God when it's duty rather than delight. But the more our hearts are being transformed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, the more even the toughest commands of God will be less duty and more delight. And the burden and the yoke will be easier and lighter. God is our new master. How does God pay his servants? What does God do for his slaves? Well, he gives them eternal life. We know from the preceding verses that God works through the obedience of His people to bring them to eternal life. We saw that this morning. That is, as we trust and therefore obey, God uses our obedience by the Spirit to grow us in holiness. And it's through holiness that we enter life. We enter into heaven. And so we're going to receive eternal life. We, as Christians, have received eternal life from God. And life is both a condition and a destination. Life as a condition means that we are now alive to God. That is, as we hear God's word, as we trust God, as we then seek to obey God, we are being brought nearer and nearer to Him. We're no longer cut off from God. We are in fellowship with God. Life as a condition means that we are, we are now alive to spiritual realities. Our minds, which used to be so warped and twisted and didn't know how to think right about things, well, slowly, by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, our minds are being straightened out again so that we know how to think well. Our hearts, which used to be bent and darkened, are being affected by the Word and the Spirit and are being taught what it is to walk in the light. What it is to love what God loves and to love the way God loves. All idolatry in our lives is being stripped away. We are learning more and more each day how to find all that we need in life by drinking from the well of living waters, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is life. This is what we should be experiencing as Christians in this world. This is the eternal life that God gives to us as a condition. But it's more than a condition is ultimately a destination. When we're told that we're going to receive eternal life, that includes life in the completed kingdom of God. Christ will reign over a completed kingdom. And we will reign with Him over a new heavens and a new earth. Are you looking forward to that day? Are you looking forward to paradise when, when this earth will be made new? Right? There will be no more sin, no more sickness, no more sorrow, and we will be with Christ forever. Will there be new plants? Will there be new animals? Will there be new natural wonders? Maybe. I think so. Will each of us have different callings to fulfill? Will we each be, be called by God to exercise dominion over this new earth in different ways, with different vocations? Maybe. 
I, I don't think I can say for sure, but I, I think so. All will be peace. All will be joy. Right? Gone will be all sorrow and death. All will be life. The love of God is the greatest thing in all the universe. Knowing God, belonging to God, is the highest of all delights. Well, those in heaven will have fellowship with God forever. Those who receive eternal life will be with God forever, and there will never be any danger of that fellowship ever being broken again. There will be perfect security. People are both body and soul. Our bodies will be resurrected on the last day and made perfect. And so just like the torments of hell will be both torments to body and soul, so the delights of heaven will be delights for both body and soul. And the Christians in heaven will think back to the past. They'll remember how their sins were paid for at the cross. How God's grace came to them through the gospel. They will remember the many, many ways that God in His kindness brought them to faith and repentance and worked all to bring them to that blessed place. They will recognize that the wicked are in hell, eternally cut off from God and the glories of heaven. The Bible says that the righteous in heaven will even rejoice over God's justice being carried out in hell. But certainly it will make us all the more grateful to be there. All the more humble. All the more thankful to God for our salvation. In heaven, Christians will dwell with the most amazing and incredible sorts of creatures. Cherubim and seraphim. Can you imagine dwelling for all eternity with cherubim and seraphim? Have you ever considered that that's our future? And of course, we will dwell with one another in the sweetest Society we have ever known. Fellowship, unlike any fellowship we've known on earth. Something that we should have a taste of here in a local church, but, but the true feast is to come. In the midst of our overflowing happiness in heaven, Christians will, will look forward to the future only to realize that this is our future, that this peace and this joy will never be lost. It is ours for all eternity. This is the eternal life of Romans 6.23. It is a condition that we experience in who we are on earth, but ultimately it's a destination, a place to which we are headed. And ultimately it's it's relationship with God. What is eternal death? It is being cut off from God forever and experiencing His wrath. What is eternal life? It is fellowship with God forever and experiencing His love. Now, notice that Romans 6.23 says that this eternal life is a gift. Sin operates on the principle of wages, justice, under the law. You will get what you deserve. It's not the way it works when you're under grace. It's not the way heaven works. In heaven we receive what we do not deserve. Eternal life is something that we could never be worthy of. God himself will receive all the glory for this gift he's given. Now wait a minute, you might say. 
Didn't we just study verse 19 this morning? Doesn't verse 19 say that we should present our members to righteousness, that we should give ourselves to doing God's will? And doesn't verse 19 say that by our giving ourselves to God's will, we will be sanctified and have eternal life? So if if my giving myself to God's will is part of what is used to get me to eternal life, don't I have some claim to glory? Can't I boast in in some way? Can't in some sense sanctification and eternal life mean that I get some credit here? I chose to read my Bible and God used the Bible to make me holy. I chose to pray and God used prayer to make me holy. I chose to go to church. I chose to be involved in Christian conversation. And then God used the church and God used Christian conversation to make me holy and ready for the last day. So yes, let's give God some credit. But He doesn't get all the credit, does He? The answer, of course, is God gets all the credit. Why? Why does God give get all the credit if, if part of our salvation is being accomplished through our own obedience? Well, because in the end, we will see that all of our willing and all of our doing was actually God willing and doing through us. That every time we ever chose to obey, every time we ever chose to think right thoughts or to say right things or to respond well or to do good things, that was God's grace at work within us. Yes, you chose to read your Bible. Yes, you chose to pray. Yes, you chose to engage in Christian conversation. And yes, you would not have gone to heaven if you had not done that. But from heaven's perspective, you will look back and see it was the Spirit that moved you to do those things. It was the Spirit of God compelling you and the Spirit of God that took those things and used them to make you holy. All of those things you chose to do, you chose because of what God was doing in you, through you, for you. Look with me at Philippians 2, just to be reminded of this great truth of why God deserves all the glory, 100% of the glory for our salvation. These two verses in Philippians 2 are very helpful in shedding light on why even why God gets all the glory even for our sanctification. Look at verses 12 and 13. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now just stop there. Work out your own salvation. Here's what Paul is calling the Philippian Christians to do. It's the very same thing Paul's been calling the Roman Christians to do in Romans 6. It's the same thing that Jesus calls you and me to do. We're to work out our own salvation. How do you work out your own salvation? By living in faithful obedience to God. Right? Do you see that? Right? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, As you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So he's talking about obedience. The way we work out our salvation is through obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through our obedience that God will sanctify us. No obedience, no holiness. No holiness, no heaven. 
Sanctification depends on your obedience. So why then does God get all the glory if I'm the one obeyed, right? Why can't a Christian who has obeyed God say on the last day that he deserves at least partial credit, partial glory for his salvation? Look at verse 13. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Did you desire to do that good thing? Praise God. He gave you that desire. Did you actually act on that desire? Did you actually perform that good work? Praise God. He moved you to do this. He gave you the desire. He gave you the strength. He gave you the ability. He gave you the will to do it. You see, we must, we must be active in obedience if we're to be made holy and go to heaven. But this obedience is ultimately a gift of God's grace that He is performing in our hearts and in our minds. And thus holiness is a gift. Heaven is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. We could go further than this because your new heart with your new desires to please God and obey Him they don't come out of nowhere. They were purchased by Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Your sanctification, your becoming holy is rooted in your justification. Apart from Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you as your representative, God could never have been just to send the Holy Spirit into your life to give you new desires. So if you desire to read your Bible, Christ died so that you would have that desire to read your Bible. And you would never have had that desire in a God-honoring way had Christ not died. If you don't see it clearly now, I, I assure you, on the last day, you will see it clearly. God deserves 100% of the glory for your salvation. And all you will be able to say is, thank you. Thank you. What a gift. This is not wages. This is not what I deserve. This is gift. And what a gift it is. The final words of Romans 6.23 are very important. If you want to see them again, Romans 6.23, the the final words of Romans 6.23. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of our salvation is in Christ. All of our salvation is in Christ. We were predestined to salvation in Christ. Ephesians 1. Apart from Christ and His atoning work, God could never have been just to set His love upon sinners like us. Friends, it was Jesus who atoned for our sins. It was Jesus who sent the Spirit to give us new hearts through the Gospel. It was Jesus who raised up that person who brought the Gospel to you. It was Jesus 
who gave you faith and repentance. It was Jesus who accomplished your justification and made you right with God. Even now, it is Jesus, this very moment, who is working sanctification in you, working in mysterious ways that we can't even comprehend to make us more like Him. Christ is is washing His bride with the water of the Word. He's cleansing us. He's making us blameless. It is Jesus who will provide for us and protect us until our final breath, ensuring that not one of His sheep is lost. It is Jesus who will glorify our souls and make them perfect in holiness so that the moment we breathe our last in this life, our souls will enter perfectly and now made pure into heaven, into the very presence of God. It is Jesus who will come again and raise up our bodies and make them new. It is Jesus who will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. Church, all of your salvation is in Jesus Christ. Every bit of it. And so to Him be glory forever and ever and ever. As we leave Romans 6, let me give you two applications for our lives. I'm sorry, five applications for our lives. They won't be long, I promise. Five applications for Romans 6, very quickly. Number one, let us embrace who we are. Let us embrace who we are. Who are we as Christians? We are people who have died to sin. Sin's dominion is now broken over us. We are now alive to God. We need to embrace this. We we deny everything we've learned in Romans 6. If we continue to give in to our addictions, to give in to our habitual sins, to act as if we're powerless to defeat them, Yes, sin's temptations are still strong. But don't you dare act like you can't defeat them. Don't you dare act like the power that's at work in you cannot defeat that sin you're struggling with. That denies the, God, the, the Word of God in Romans 6. You have died to sin. It still can tempt you, but it cannot control you. You now have power within you by the, by the Spirit of God. To say, I will not do that thing. But I will follow my Lord. And so we must not play the wimp to sin. We must not just lay down at sin's feet while it kicks us. We must fight. So embrace who you are. Embrace your new identity. Number two. Let us cultivate love for God and love for Jesus in our hearts. Let us cultivate love for our Lord. As we talked about this morning, let us do that by growing in faith. The more we see of our Savior, the more we trust the gospel, the more we rest in Christ, the more precious He will be to us. And the more precious Christ is to us, the harder sin will have to work to pull us into disobedience to Him. We will not be quick to fall into sin if we love the Lord Jesus Christ. We will not want to to grieve His Spirit. The one who gave so much for us. The one who is so tender towards us. The one working in our souls this very second. The one interceding before God for us this very second. And I'm going to do that? The very thing that He hates? 
cultivate love for Christ. Really, that's the ultimate secret to defeating sin in your life. Number three, full of love for Christ, give yourself in happy submission to God every day. Give yourself in happy submission to the will of God. Let us make it a new habit as a church family that the moment our eyes open in the morning, before we even get out of bed, we whisper a prayer to Jesus, giving ourselves to Him anew. Jesus, thank you for watching over me while I slept last night. Thank you that you are the God who never sleeps. Thank you that you care for us while we sleep. Here's a new day. Jesus, take everything I am. Let me be useful to you this day. Show me your will. Help me to obey it in every area of my life this day. Let us be reminding ourselves while we're, while we're taking a shower, while we're getting our breakfast, while we're getting dressed, let us be reminding ourselves of how good our God has been to us, how worthy He is of our faithfulness. If our, if our hearts need to be refreshed, get, get on our knees. Get in the Word. Let prayer in the Bible refresh our hearts so that we feel deep within us. I want to be useful to my Savior. I want to do His will today. Husbands, fathers, let us lead our families in this. If morning devotions are a possibility for your family, even if they must be brief, try and lead your family in beginning each day with this prayer. Lord Jesus, here we are. Help us to submit to your will today. Help us to do what you require of us. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be useful to you. Number four. Let's practice self-denial. Let's practice self-denial. When those wicked desires spring up, whether it's very subtle, or whether they spring upon you like a hurricane, when those wicked desires spring up, Learn to say no. Self-denial is our defense in this Christian battle. We must learn to have a slower pace of life than the rest of the world around us. We have to learn to live thoughtfully. Don't speak until you've tested what you're about to say with the test. Will this glorify God? Don't, Don't act until you've tested what you're about to do according to that test. Will this bring glory to God? Let us learn to live thoughtfully, not to speak or act rashly, but with careful consideration of what we're about to say, of what we're about to do. Families, let us be striving hard and prayerfully to cultivate self-control in our children and in our grandchildren, that they too will be able to deny themselves so that they can take up their cross and follow Christ. And then finally, number five. Let us be lovers of grace. Let us be lovers of grace. May grace be our theme everywhere we go and everything we do. Let us see how the kindness of God is surrounding us every moment of every day. Let thankfulness be our constant companion. Let's be humble, living not for self, but for the God who has been so kind to us. And let us be quick every moment of every day to praise God for being so good to us. To praise Him for working such a great salvation in us. So church, 
Let us be a people who no longer bow to the master called sin. But let us bow to God and live in the eternal life that he gives. Amen.